Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. This episode, we talk about meditation, when and where meditation can be used and how to incorporate it into your lives, its place in martial arts, and then if we have time towards the end of this, we may teach you a technique or few to help ease you into meditation. Today, we talk to Dr. Neil Lundgren, mentor and life coach, about the subject of meditation. How are you, Neil? I'm doing fine, Jim. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited for us to finally get together and do this, and I appreciate your time here, especially right before the holidays. My pleasure. In fact, uh, right before the Christmas holidays, this is often a good time to speak of things like stress-reducing techniques, uh, meditation in, in a world that can that seems to be uh, gearing up, uh, not only for the holidays, but uh, gearing up in this particular year of 2018, moving into 2019. Uh, so I think we're needing this, these ways of being, these ways of interacting with the world from a place of centeredness, needing these techniques uh, even more than we did five years ago. Yeah, and you know, you bring up an excellent point for whatever the reason, the irony, I guess, that at the holidays, our stress levels can be higher than normal. I know mine is this year, so I'm hoping to be able to take a <laughs> from today as well. I need to relax Good. some. So, uh, I hear you. so before we get started, let's talk about you for a second. I generally like to have guests talk about themselves, their background, their experience, et cetera. So... Sure. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, why don't we just put it in a few parts here very quickly. Sure. Uh, as a young man, I was a recording artist uh, with Columbia Records, uh, and then later with Capitol Records. I uh, was in a group called Manchild, uh, and uh, these few decades ago here. Uh, but in my youth, uh, I was a professional musician, singer-songwriter, etc. And uh, it was during that time period, Jim, where, uh, and I was at a, in a place of, I would say, uh, success, uh, and I felt a lack of meaning in what I was doing. I remember even having a, a this wasn't exactly a specific vision, but there was this idea or this intuition that kept gnawing at me in my second or third year of being on the road with uh, my band. And I was saying to myself, you know, I could see myself playing in theme parks 25 years from now, my old songs. And this really doesn't feel rich enough. And I began reading the works of Herman Hesse, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, interesting Europeans, I don't know why necessarily, save the fact that these writings were considered uh, ingenious writings of the human soul. And and so I was uh, engaged in these even while on the road. And, and eventually I decided to enter a monastery. And I entered... Uh, so you go from... And Manchild was kind of rock and roll folk. Yes, exactly. It was a singer. It was the American Roots Music Movement uh, in the 70s. And so, and, yeah, go ahead. No, so um, you go from that 
to a monastery. And amazing extremes. Yeah. Uh, I know, I know. And, and talk about, you know, feeling a lot of, uh, and sometimes positive stress. And uh, uh, I, I loved what I was doing as a musician. But I had this, this desire to, what can I say, go within. Uh, I had this desire to walk in solitude with some uh, deep others who were doing the same thing. And I did have a background in, uh, in you know, religion, Catholicism and all that. So I, but I had left that as a musician, left that path, uh, left the path of religion. But this was more of the path of spirituality of finding uh, somehow the peace within the self. And that's what I was really looking for. So I entered uh, a monastery in the north woods of Minnesota. It would be 67 degrees below zero uh, in the winter in really secluded uh, uh, space. And I was there, uh, including seminary and monastery, I was there around seven years. And I accrued a lot of experience, I would say, in uh, the solitary life, uh, the communal life as well, but very basic, you know, didn't wear a watch. You know, my uh, time was the time of the church bell. I spent a lot of time in nature, taking walks, of course, meditating. And learning skills in meditation. It was there, in fact, that I was introduced to a lot of Eastern thought while in the monastery. It was a very uh, open thinking monastery. And I did begin there to move a bit eastward uh, in my thinking and in my reading. So I would get, that would be the second sort of phase. The third phase. I spent a couple of years in a, in a cabin chopping wood and carrying water, and and I had a job with uh, I got a job with a high school teaching, and it was actually at that school where I was teaching students the Bhagavad Gita text, Hindu text, uh, thousand or two thousand years old, and. Uh, that began to interest me even more in, in Eastern thought, Eastern meditation. And then from there, uh, I entered a doctoral program at Emory University in Atlanta, and that's how I came to live here. And uh, entered a doctoral program in philosophy, psychology, and uh, religious experience, uh, and interrelated those fields. And thought I would be going the academic path after I finished my dissertation or while I was writing it, but got an opportunity uh, to work in a treatment center with uh, this 12 step, 12 step program. Sure. Uh, and got a job there. And that's where I ended up becoming enthralled with life lessons, with actually mentoring from the ground up body, soul, spirit, mind, uh, with not patients, but clients, students. So I was finishing my doctorate, writing my doctorate on the creative potentials of psychosis and neurosis. But rather than going the route of the academic world, I went more into the clinical world and uh, received gainful employment from this place called Ridgeview Institute, where I was there for about seven years, 
uh, as the spiritual counselor and then eventually spiritual director of the hospital. Uh, and for me, that was a path that I knew deep down I would not waver from in terms of the kind of teaching I became interested in, in doing. So rather than intellectual or academic teaching, it became enthralling to me to be able to interface the heart, the soul, the mind, the body, uh, health and well-being and all those aspects and dimensions. And I never looked back. Sure. And when you were in your academia, how did meditation play a role for you there? Or were you into it that seriously yet? That's a good question. Uh, I wasn't, of course, I had accrued meditation meditation skills in the, in the monastic life. And, but when I went into uh, academic life, I, I literally left that behind. I did not really even maintain a practice. I just really got into my head and to studies. And it can be, and I know you've, uh, if you talk to anyone who's uh, in a doctoral program, it's, it's all consuming. Not to say that I couldn't have, you know, uh, squeeze something. Wakened in the morning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but sure. I, I, I just wasn't, uh, I, I, I took a break. I took a hiatus. Uh, and I don't think I, I, I was really uh, inward outside of inward in my head and exploration and, and understanding um, uh, psychological principles and, and moving more into those dynamics. So it was introspective, but not I would say it all as deeply as I had experienced as a monk. But but once I got into uh, the the clinical world and was asked to teach meditation and and asked to teach from a variety of disciplines, then of course it it uh, it, it re-entered my life. Sure. So that, that's a good question. But I, then and I've not uh, let let go of that desire or need to live a meditative life, which I think is more important than just a practice of meditation. We can talk about that. Sure. And I know we've talked about this before. We both have some experience and background in martial arts. I think you've got a little bit more experience with Eastern martial arts than I, but talk about your experience with martial arts, what you've done, what you have experience in, and then how meditations fit into that for you. Okay. That's a, that's another good question, uh, Jim. When I started at this hospital of working with uh, clients who had to totally shift their lives and redirect their lives from the ground up, uh, I, felt inside even for myself, continued to reconnect, reconnect, reconnect with the body, that it wasn't only about mind, or one could say mind or soul or heart, but it was also about grounding in the body. And it was the uh, martial arts, my introduction to the martial arts that really assisted that in a wonderful way. At first, it was just a book. I had read uh, the book by Morihai Yushiba, the founder of Aikido, yes. his book called Abundant Peace, and was blown away by it. Realized that there were a few dojos in Atlanta who were actually teaching the thing. So I went to a dojo, or an Aikido dojo, in uh, in Atlanta, and I was looking at the forms and the interaction 
uh, as these martial artists were engaged in this dance of Aikido. And I went, okay, I, I want to do that. I want to, I really, this feels really, really healthy and, and vibrant to me. And so I, I, I did it for about two or three years. Uh, just, I only went through two or three cues. A cue is a, it, they don't have belts or anything like that. Sure. But you can move all the way to, to uh, the highest cue for, uh, then you become quote unquote a sensei. Uh, but uh, I did uh, I work with Aikido, loved it, got a lot from it, uh, loved the engagement of it, the, the vibrancy of it, and I loved the spirit of Morahai Yushiba that you could feel on the mat. Uh, at that point, I, I moved from there to Tai Chi Chuan, to Tai Chi, uh, did the uh, long and short form, but only for about a year. For me, it was a bit impractical. I liked the quote unquote soft martial art aspect sure. of it, the meditative aspect of it. Yeah. But what, where I found it didn't, it seemed too orchestrated, too, um, almost as if it were, it, 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 it was, it was too, there's too much baggage in all the forms and you'd have to have a park to even do it. I, I couldn't, uh, it was not it's totally impractical. I couldn't even do it in my office with clients because I have to open three doors just to end the, the and, you know, have enough you know room. once I have enough room. So th that, that was not long lasting. But then I, I met a teacher who um, I am still at this uh, very, very engaged with 25 years later. Uh, and I've been, uh, practicing for a long, long time, almost that, that length of time, uh, Qigong. And it's called a number of things. You can, if you Google it, it's, you can, uh, Qigong, 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 and there's this sort of elision or coincidence of Japanese and Chinese. Yeah. But qi, Qigong is, is the most correct, and that would be the practice of energy. Okay. The chi, uh, uh, you know, is energy, pran, spirit, called the number of things, ki in, in Japanese. And chi is energy, uh, subtle energy, and kung is the practice of, the practice of um, that energy and moving that energy. And that has stuck with me over the years, and I've introduced a number of clients into that practice as a moving meditation, especially clients that don't seem to be able to sit in one place for long. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, some for some folks, sitting meditation is, is problematic. Yeah. Um, it's hard to sit still for more than five it's, minutes. It's hard to sit. Yeah. Exactly. But with Qigong, basically, you know, the raising of the arms and the 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 descending of the arms. There are there are some. It's it's very yoga like. Uh, the katas, the forms are uh, extremely empowering in terms of breath, centering in what they call the dantian, uh, the elixir fields, uh, shen, the upper dantian, uh, qi, the middle dantian, and jing, the lower dantian, etc. But this engagement of the flow of energy um, and even working with microcosmic orbit of moving up the back, down the stomach, breathing in and breathing out it be, it's a wonderful way i think of intervening on the thoughts of the future thoughts of the past obsessing with thoughts that create the the uh, 
negative uh, stress hormone, you know, cortisol after it's, it's okay for a while and we need it when we're under stress and that's why the brain chemical is created. But after a while, it can really even induce more stress than, than alleviate it. And what happens when we can intervene on the thought process, uh, then we can become present, open body, open mind, open heart. And Qigong is one of the ways uh, to um, facilitate that movement into presence, that movement into the awareness of the breath, the awareness of locating oneself uh, in the body, not only the physical body, but shall we say the energetic body or the subtle body. And is that the concept of becoming, you know, we've heard through movies and other sources, is that the concept of getting or becoming centered? Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a second or two away. You know, becoming centered means, you know, it's always there. Presence is there, but we're not there with presence. Sure. And, and, and presence is, is really about this consent to being in the moment, not the superficial moment, but the moment of, of flow, the moment of the breath of the inhale and exhale of the breath where we're not in our head and not in our thoughts. So it really does go beyond uh, relaxation techniques and stress reduction. It's, it's very good. Yes, quite, absolutely. Quite deeper. quite deeper. In fact, the whole stress reduction aspect, uh, this is all preparation for presence. Or, or sometimes a symptom, actually. Not only preparation, for, but it's a symptom. of pre So if we're present and we're not uh, uh, worried about the future or we're not resentful about the past, then what will happen is we will be more in that moment, uh, in the moment of the, that we experienced ideally as a child. When we were children, we didn't have the clock we didn't have where we had to be we didn't have bills we didn't have, have all of these responsibilities and accountabilities other than just being here and we didn't and have the, egos either that's right uh i mean certainly even by age two you know we have you know in fact the the, the ego emerges and the sense of i and the self of self-will comes in but there's a sense of play that we've lost that a child when we were children, we we had more naturally. Uh, now, obviously, there are children that are, you know, uh, born in stressful situations with with mom and dads and are, are in divorce and all sorts of drama. So I don't want to idealize childhood, but but there is an energy in a child, even a child that is uh, in a in a stress produced environment. There's an energy in a child that almost has this capacity to be here now yeah. as uh, Ram Das uh, taught uh, years ago to be here now a capacity a resiliency that uh, adults don't seem to have as well yeah. we almost have to relearn it in the moment in the moment in moment by moment so we've talked about some of the superficial benefits of meditating and that leading to something much deeper. What have you personally experienced? What benefits have you experienced in your meditating? Well, since we just talked about Qigong and the moving meditation, 
my sense about this practice, it has helped me with just overall sense of well-being, but it's actually strengthened strengthened my back, uh, has allowed me to feel this overall vitality that no other, and I work out, you know, five, six days a week in terms of cardio and weights, but Qigong has produced for me a sense of um, strength and vitality that no other exercise has produced. And that, you know, gives positive energy. Mentally, it's been more wonderful. It's like a natural antidepressant. Yeah. Now, in terms of sitting meditation, there are a number of methods that I've learned over the years, and I've been meditating for many years. I would say that one of the most profound of meditations comes from uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhism um, via uh, Shogyal Rinpoche. Um, and that is the meditation, the simple meditation of bringing the awareness, Jim, to the breath, to the subtleties of every breath. And following that breath where the awareness and the breath begin to collide so closely that one has a sense almost of becoming that breath. It's very natural. There's no hocus pocus piece to it. It's not about this or that mantra or yantra or visualization. It's not even pranayama in terms of control, breath control, etc. fire breath or water breath, none of that. It literally is this natural following of each of your breaths that are unique in and of themselves. And that natural meditation of sitting, just sitting with the awareness, with the breath has, I think for me, when all is said and done, is the most natural and the most powerful. Now, there are other uh, methods of meditation, like, for instance, mantric meditation, where one receives a mantra, uh, TM, for instance, the TM movement, and I, you know, have received a, a TM mantra, transcendental meditation mantra. And those mantras are, uh, they have vibrations that are associated with uh, that particular word, that Sanskrit word. And that was, that was for years a, a very powerful method as well. And it allowed for focus. So one could breathe in with that mantra, inhale the mantra, sometimes dividing it into on the inhale and exhale. And that would be a wonderful way of intervening on the future, the past, thoughts, feelings, etc., and just moving with that vibration as you know words do have vibrations associated with them and that was a very very powerful one as a monk uh, a very powerful modality of meditation is reading and this could be any scripture it could be uh, you know a, a scripture from the east west uh, uh, it doesn't really matter sure. but by scripture written by sages who accrued a lot of awareness and love in their lives that you read some of the scripture and especially in the ancient language itself and then you would read let's say a passage or a, a paragraph and then you would read maybe four words and then you would 
you know, reflect on those, but then move deeper to one word and one word you're, you're attracted to, you're not overanalyzing it. And then that one word you begin breathing in and breathing out. And then you go into silence, into the heart, and only use that word to anchor you, to anchor you back in a centered way in presence. And that was very powerful. But the whole point of all of this, and even as a monk, ora et labora, to pray and to work, to meditate and to work, it was the motto that St. Benedict in the sixth century uh, developed his monastery around. I felt a wonderful vibrancy in that gym where I would bring my meditative practice into the daily life, whether that was working in, in the fields or in the vegetable garden, or whether that was teaching in the university or walking along a path or cleaning a, the latrines, you know, because we had to do everyday jobs as well to, uh, to maintain uh, the monastery. Keep up the place. Keep up the place, you know. But having a, a sense of presence in the moment of whatever you are doing and whoever you are with, this meditative life, that's really what all this is about. To compartmentalize and just to say, well, over here I'm meditating. And then if it has no uh, effect on one's life of creating a bit more of serenity, a little bit more of emotional um, mastery over our triggers that, you know, whether we're triggered in a grocery line or whether we're triggered uh, in a car and in traffic or whether we are trying to, to deal with AT&T or, right, right. you know, whatever, or whether we're, we're need we're, some meditation yeah. after that. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, the key is to, to live meditatively during it. And that's the litmus test. Whenever, whatever is going on, we're getting, getting curveballs, minefields. This is what being in the world is about. It's a place of lightness and it's a place of darkness. And we can bring that light. We can make ourselves available to that light at any moment. Meditation or meditative centeredness is a second away, is a couple of seconds away. I think that's a really good point because I think people, myself included, generally think about the act of meditation, whatever that is. Maybe they have some familiarity with meditating on some level or some form of meditation. But I think what you are saying or have said is that the goal of the act of meditation is get to the point where you can walk through and face the ins and outs of daily life because you remain in a more meditative, relaxed state of being. That is right on. Because, you know, we're trying to find our outlets, whether it's a walk in the woods like myself, being outdoors in the woods, camping, whether it's shooting your bow and arrow, doing exercise or martial arts, whatever that outlet is to make us feel more centered, to help us de-stress. But ultimately the goal is to get us to a point where we find ourselves in that more relaxed state more often times than not. 
Uh, Absolutely. There you go. Not about fact, taking fact, the quick fix pill in the yes. moment and feeling better yes. for that moment in time. But ultimately the yes. goal of meditation is the long-term state of being. Exactly. And that I don't, I forget the master who said it, Jim, but um, he said it this way or she, I'm not, uh, whoever this was, but it stayed with me. And that is meditation is not a practice ultimately meditation is not even a state of being ultimately meditation is who we are mm. yes it is it is the essence of human existence but we're human doings for the most part human being is literally an achievement human being is a goal but for the most part, we see around us human doings. Yes. So I, even we say, well, I'm a human being. Well, not really. I'm a human doing until I can get to a place where I can relocate to that very simple and natural essence of who I am. Yes. And that is really the essence of presence we are all ultimately presence knowing that we're presence and that is the difference shall we say between ourselves and and and, and animals animals are in fact sometimes we we know we perceive they are far more pure far more intelligent than we are because by nature they just simply are themselves. They just are. They just are. However, my dog, my boxer, Indigo, if I didn't even I know you needed, had a dog. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I have two. I have a bull mastiff, a boxer, and a, a couple of cats. Yeah. But if, 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 if I need to be taken to the hospital, because I just took Indigo, uh, bless her heart, to the vet, she had a seizure. The, 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 the difference, but, uh, she is okay now, but the, 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 the difference, here's the difference. I can take Indigo to the vet, but Indigo can't take me to the vet. Right. Or can't take me to the doctor. Yeah. And so the, the, the possibilities of being human are, are, are obvious. Yeah in terms of our ability to do harm or to to heal to bring lighters bring darkness to others but it, it's so it is it is certainly a fact that when we behold a cat or we behold a horse or a cougar or a lion or a dog we behold anything of creation that lives and breathes that that creation is there's such perfection in it there needs to be no teaching on that save aligning with the perfection of it but where we as human beings hopefully we learn to be human beings we can become human doings out of the sense of human being and that goes back to one of my first texts i told you about was the bhagavad-gita and our Arjuna is told by Krishna, the inner teacher, 
the inner teacher tells the, the student, he says, establish yourself in being, then act. Yeah. Establish yeah. yourself in being, then act. And I think this is the this is the goal to move from being and then wonderful service we can provide in terms of our doing can be human doings, but be human doings from a place of centeredness, from a place of presence, from a place where we have accrued some semblance of the balance of awareness and love and concern for our fellow human beings, for our environment, for our fellow creatures. I think the adjustment period is moving away from being so concerned with the act and getting back to or trying to get to the state of being and that being the priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know we've talked about, and I want to talk about more. Hopefully we can give our audience a sampling or a taste of what they can do to ease into some sort of meditative approach or technique. Uh, you know, we've talked about walking in the woods and the movements of Qigong and exercise and or shooting a bow and arrow you know i know for myself walking in the woods or being outdoors camping uh training in my self-defense uh or even rigorous exercise i know it puts me in this state of calm uh, and certainly de-stresses me mm -hmm. I, I know that you and i have talked offline about how meditation has a place in martial arts, but that that does not seem to be such a thing anymore. And maybe it's just because our martial arts here have become more westernized overall, or maybe there's more Western-based mm -hmm. martial arts. And meditation doesn't seem to have a place there. You know, we all warm up and do our stretches before class, but there's not a chance to focus, to do away with the stresses of the office before I got to class that evening, maybe, or, or unwinding after the class. How do we... I mean, how do we convince folks to maybe even take it on for themselves, even when the classes that they're taking maybe aren't offering it? You know, that, that is a great uh, commentary on the state, shall we say, of martial arts in most places today. I mean, yeah, there's nothing. And it, it, there's a vapidness around development of the inner life before you go on the mat and i can only say that it just depends upon the teacher that when i finally met a teacher who valued that and i would i would assume now i'm i don't know for certain and i have not talked to uh, i i have mentioned this to senseis uh years ago when i was when i was doing aikido but it was interesting i would get this question like yeah it would be a good idea but there was no training even the sense, quote, quote unquote, senseis. In fact, my teacher said, you know, there are very, very few senseis. Uh, anyway, Neil, it's not just somebody that has a, you know, a degree, a, a black belt or whatever. These are not senseis. Senseis are some, are another animal that have to do with a deep, deep inner life and a crude energy and awareness. Uh, and there are very few of those. Yeah. And I'm going to answer your question, Jim, this way. He said, and, and you can see it when there's a lot of injury. 
because injury really comes out of not being in the flow, not being in a meditative state. Mm. And I think that when you said, I heard you say, how can we convince? Well, probably what's going to happen is injury is going to begin. Injury will convince everyone because once they're injured, then they go, okay, what do I do here? I'm just sitting here. Well, okay, I'll breathe. I'll breathe and be aware of my breath and I'll heal and I have to slow down. But if we came from that place, if in the Cezar position, in the kneeling position where I started in the dojo, uh, in Aikido, in the Cezar, I would be, I would try to go to the Cezar position on the mat. And I was sometimes the only one there. And I would do my own meditation before I went into uh, the Aikido movements. That's what I was going to ask next. If it did have a place, which I think we both agree it does or it should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Would I find myself meditating before I warm up at the beginning of class? Or would I meditate before I pack up and go home at the end of class? Well, well, actually throughout, because meditation is presence. Yeah. So, so you would first wake up in the morning. Establish yourself in being, then act. The first movement in the morning, um, ideally, should be a movement into presence, a movement into the awareness of breath. Into so being. it's just, yeah, so let's take a moment and, and experience this. So you wake up in the morning, And some people may take orange juice, coffee, tea, water. They'll be reviving themselves with putting water on their face or whatever, maybe not. And rather than turning the TV on or looking at your computer or taking your iPhone or smartphone and uh, seeing what's going on, looking at text, schedules, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Sit. Sit. Sit and be present with your breath. Just this gratitude of presence of breathing in and breathing out. So we cognize the ultimate and the basic and the primal. Here I am as a human being, and I am alive. And energy is moving through me. And I connect with that breath in simple gratitude and presence. I sink into the folds of being, the center of my body, my heart. And as I'm pulled to thoughts of the day, or I'm pulled to a past event, as I cling or resist, I just return, return to the tuning of becoming that centered instrument 
that flute through which the breath of the divine intelligence flows. And I sit there five minutes, 10 minutes, 20. I can set a time or just be. And then when I come out of that experience, I open my eyes and I ground myself in the now, open my eyes to the world around me and I say, be here now in silence or verbalized, it doesn't matter. And then I move into my day from a place of meditative centeredness, from a place of presence, totally getting pulled out of that and in throughout the day. But now I know where home is, don't I? I know where home is. As I'm pulled out into stress or I'm pulled out into worry or I'm pulled into anger, pulled into annoyance or impatience, I know where presence is, I know where home is, I'm no longer a lost soul. And so um, if we were to begin there and we go to work or we go to the dojo, uh, and then what happens is we're already, we know where home is. And so immediately when, after we put our gi on if, uh, uh, and we go to the, uh, the mat, and we kneel on the mat or we sit in the yogic position on the mat. However, we sit in natural Native American uh, uh, folded cross legs position if we want. It doesn't matter. We immediately go to that presence. It becomes so natural. It is like the breath itself. And then we go into action. We're in our katas or we're engaged with. Uh, another in a particular martial art movement, depending, it doesn't matter which martial art, whether it be a soft martial art or even a hard one like Taekwondo or uh, uh, Jiu Jitsu or whatever, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, that we come to that moment of flow and becoming in total joy. in enthusiasm for being alive, just as we used to when we were children, riding our bicycle or wrestling or playing with this or that, or just walking in the forest or walking on the street, doesn't matter. We realize the, the magnificence and mystery of being a human and becoming, unfolding into Deeper levels of awareness and deeper levels of concern, compassion, and love and forgiveness. And so these are senses of the soul we begin to develop as we practice the presence. As we move from meditative practice to meditative state, to identifying with presence itself. Yeah, I think the important piece to the whole act of meditation is to try to familiarize yourself with what it's like or what it might be like 
to just be and to have all of those thoughts out of your head and to and focus on the breathing or whatever technique it is you're trying to do so that you have or you learn what it's like to have some sense or some knowledge of what that's like. And, and I want to say something, yes, and I want to say something in that regard because you, you talked about, you know, I don't know if you said these exact words, uh, but getting thoughts out of our head. I think a lot of people stop meditation because they can't get thoughts out of their head. It's, and the key is yeah. trying to get thoughts out of your head would be like being in the middle of the summer in New Orleans or Atlanta near a body of water and not being bitten by a mosquito. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's so, one of the challenges I have, right? I get that rhythm. I find my, I, I, I try to get to that rhythm. I find my breath, yeah. but inevitably thoughts come rushing in again. So I have to be consciously aware of those thoughts in order to push them back out again. And it's, it's well, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even say push them out. A teacher once shared this with me. What rather than pushing, because, you know, if I told you right now, Jim, do not think of a white bear for 10 seconds. <laughs> Already happened. That's right. Yeah. So that is I, I would not recommend that of trying to push anything out of anywhere rather than push. Follow the pull of your breath. And bring your awareness to your breath and by experience you will know this that the thoughts end up we build a mosquito net and the little mosquitoes are hitting up against the mos mosquito net but they're not biting us anymore we can even barely hear them they're there the thoughts are there perhaps they always will be they'll run like a stream and they'll hang, clinging, resist. We cling, resist. We cling, resist. When you say push out the thoughts, that literally will not help because what you do is you resist what's much stronger than you are. That would be like going into an ocean in a wave as a surfer and going, I'm going to push you. I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to surf the other way away from the shore. Right. That's, that's <laughs> so, the way I feel. <laughs> and most people do it. And that's yeah. why so many people stop meditation yeah, because they don't think they're, it's it, because they think they're supposed to control the thoughts. Yeah. And, I, I, and yeah, you know, and, I'm, I'm and it's not really the case. It's more about getting on the wave, utilize the thoughts, turn the liability into an asset. Do not resist. Do not cling. Yeah. You know, we, but that's what we do. And that's why we're so unhappy. Because we cling to what makes us happy and we resist what makes us unhappy. Right? Yep. By and in so, and in, by and large, and in so doing, we're always in a state of unrest. So... Uh, what I would recommend here, again, you only know by experience, but I know you've experienced this, Jim, when maybe in moment by moment and you get pulled out, but in a certain moment when everything's okay and you feel as though you're in the pause between at least the thoughts and there's a little vacant gap there between thoughts. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. Well, don't worry, the wave's coming. Right. It's almost like that wave coming up before it comes and splashes on us and sinks us. 
And so what the when we anchor in the breath with our awareness, or we anchor in the mantra when we need it, more as an anchoring tool than a repetitive word, although we can use that technique as well. When we begin that practice, we turn our attention away from the thoughts to the awareness of our breath, and we begin to align with what meditators and sages have called the witness or the observer and the experiencer. Become the witness and experiencer and the feeler and less identify with the thoughts themselves, the feelings themselves, or the objects themselves. Once we begin to identify with the subject beyond our ego, which is consciousness, some have referred to consciousness as intelligence, others as the soul, certainly in, in spiritual traditions. But the soul is actually, uh, I like the modern term of the soul as consciousness itself. So when we're, and that's the difference between, shall we say, myself and Indigo, my boxer, or you and your dog. That's the difference. We're conscious that we're conscious. That development, that late development in the brain is a great opportunity and a great curse. Yes. Because if we become self-conscious and we become nervous and worried about how we're going to perform because we're human doings or we're, we're thinkers, and we're always about the thoughts and what we're going to think and solve, then we are identified with the ego that is extremely unhappy, moves from pleasure and pain as fast as a computer. Yeah. And so in, in order to move beyond that, trans, become transcendent, shall we say, to uh, being governed by the ego, it is important to identify more and more and ever more with consciousness itself. As St. Augustine once said, he said, the ego is a lousy master, mm. but a great servant. Yeah. I think that's a great spot to end today's discussion on meditation as well. So before we go, I just want to, I know your uh, time is running out here today, but I want to let you know how much I appreciate you being here and thank you for taking time out to do this with me. I want to also thank you for all you're doing and all you've done for me personally. And I was wondering if we couldn't close out today's uh, podcast by you maybe doing some breathing techniques or something for our audience. Uh, would you mind doing that for us? Sure. Uh, one technique uh, was developed by Doc Childra called the heart math technique, which I've used for a number of years. Of course, it, it, it's a biofeedback technique that you can actually get instruments and go online. And certainly, please, you know, go online, heartmath.com. Uh, you will discover some wonderful uh, uh, ways to uh, utilize this technique. Okay. And just uh, to be clear, because I 
sorry, I, just to be clear, I know I made this mistake early on. Are we <laughs> saying heart math, M-A-T-H, yeah. or are we saying heart map, M-A-P? Uh, we are saying heart math, M-A-T-H. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Heart and, math. and, and it'll become clear when I, when I give to you the, the, we're not going to move through the meditation. There's not enough time, but I'll give sure. you the parts. The, 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 the first part is you develop a scene, a scene of positivity, a scene of joy that you have had in your life. And you recall, you remember that scene and utilize, if you can, even all the five senses of sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell, etc. And you, you first get in touch with that scene that just gives you a sense of pleasure and presence. That's the first step. Then you begin to breathe into the physical heart. And so you breathe into the heart and then you exhale even deeper into the heart. So you breathe into the heart and then even deeper into the heart as you exhale. And this is all visualization, visualization technique. But it's a wonderful one to intervene on the thoughts of worry or the thoughts of resentment, future or past thought. Now, this is a past scene, but you're representing the scene of joy. So you are now, what you're doing is you're not producing as much cortisol or the stress hormone of cortisol, and you're producing more dopamine uh, and endorphin and even adrenaline. So you begin to breathe that into your heart and do that 10 times or so. And then after you do that 10 times of breathing in that scene into your heart, you can then breathe just the essence you extract the essence like orange juice uh, from an orange and you begin to breathe in that essence of positivity and joy and do that 10 times or so and you can this is a great meditation in the moment of stress you can use it anywhere use it in the parking lot in your car before you're going into a important meeting or after one that has really disturbed you go into that heart map meditation and you can produce almost immediate sense of um, okayness with 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 not being okay. I'm not. It's not like you're going to achieve enlightenment, but one gets a sense of you know, okay, I you've gotten a little bit of cognitive distance on your life, and yet emotional presence to the essence of yourself in terms of being joy being positivity being love that's a that's a great method the second method i already i already moved you through and and we spent about five or ten minutes on it and that was connecting your awareness to the breath itself and following the breath in each of its in, inhales and exhales with your awareness and beginning to align more and more with the natural state of your breath where your awareness is literally identifying with breath, that Tibetan method. No, I already gave that to you in our talk. Yep. Uh, the, the third technique would be to, again, it's all about bringing the awareness to the breath itself. This is another heart technique, an ancient monastic technique, where you pick a word, a sacred word from any scripture of your choice, and you use that word simply to anchor you. So you breathe into the heart. And whenever you get pulled away into thoughts or into feelings, you bring the mantra 
bring in that sacred word. So you don't repeat it each time, but you breathe in that word simply to anchor you more and more into presence, into your heart. And allow whatever comes up to come up. And there are a number of thoughts that can come in and intrude, even positive ones. Rather than grab that like a fish on a hook, you can always gain that later when you move out of your meditation. But at the moment, continue that centering, that centering, that centering. Rather than bite a fish, even as a fisherman, or, or catch a fish, bite a fish as a fish, or catch a fish as a fisherman, or be, being eaten as a fish, rather than all of that, simply just be. Because it's not about clinging, nor is it about resisting, nor is it really about grasping, or once we gain something, a treasure. That's what I, I came into meditation in order to get this treasure. It's not really what it's about. It's about developing a taste for a more lively and more positive existence. It's not really about uh, finding this or that treasure and then stopping and, okay, I've got that insight, now I can go into the world. Although those, those are good experiences and, you know, certainly better than a sharp stick in the eye. Uh, we, we can we can gain much more enriched experience if we learn to become meditative beings. Okay, and that I think we can end there. There are many other techniques, but those would be a few that I think would be highly useful in day-to-day -day life. It's a great start, Neil. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome, Jim, and may you have a wonderful day. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye.